Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but this morning I actually said to somebody else, I don't want to work with friends on this project because how can I be a convincing imposter when they already know that I am one? <laughs> That's not an imposter, is it? That's just an incompetent person. You, to be a good imposter, you've got to be fooling somebody. Yeah. So how can I, my syndrome be at its absolute best if they already know? That's all I'm saying. I'm a feminist, but I was going to wear, uh, I've got a new jumpsuit, but it's all sort of like skin tight, and I was going to wear that tonight. But then actually, as the night loomed, I was like, I actually feel a bit sort of periody and bursty. Nah, whack a smock on. It's a great smock. I've done that. I'm a feminist, but I had my hair and makeup done today, professionally, because uh, we're being live streamed, and a bit of this might be used on the telly at some point. So, I've, you know, I've, I've made an effort. And... Honestly, when I came in, I was a bit disappointed people recognised me and didn't say, oh, there's the young Elizabeth Taylor. I think between Burton marriages, I think that's what I'd like them to think. Is that what you're going Between for? two Burtons. I'd like to be the mid-Burton Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. And it would be great if someone just went, is that a young Elizabeth Taylor who's just come into King's Place? I think it is. It must be. I don't think anybody would be risky enough to liken you to someone long, long, long dead. I'm all right with it. Okay. Do you know, it was a very sad day in our house when Diana Rigg passed away because mm. the young Diana Rigg was Tom's massive pin-up. And I always used to say, the only time I have to be really frightened that he would leave me is if the young Diana Rigg came out of a time machine. It's going to happen. It's 2020. Continue. 
Um, I, oh, I've got a sort of got a, some choice in it. I'm a feminist, but as much as I love this podcast tonight at the London Podcast Festival, is, is better than any guilty feminist podcast has ever been before because they've levelled up compared to normal Debs. Backstage, there's wine, beer, yeah. shortcakes, Twixes, twirls, curly whirlies, popcorn, crisps, nuts, lentil chips, salt and vinegar, and plain. Um, they've got popcorn individual bags that have got sweet and salty in. There's bags of Maltesers, Freddos, um, uh, Brew Dog, San Pellegrino's, Diet Cokes, Free Mugs. <laughs> I don't feel like it's very feminist of me to prefer this to all the previous episodes because of the snacks and free stuff, but I do. No, I, I understand. I'm a feminist, but I went on the radio the other day to be interviewed by Evan Davis, the host of Dragon's Den, and I couldn't help but use that time on air to pitch him my Dragon's Den idea for this Christmas, which I think will be a winner and it's this Christmas crackers that are two meters long <laughs> so you can pull and socially distance at the same time nice. I think it would work because I mean obviously once you're at, in Christmas you probably bubbled let's be honest but I think it would be a comedy thing and also you could do them with your neighbors over the fence actually really as a sort of fun way to get together and uh, <laughs> I, I pitched I pitched this um, you could fit those um, more treats in, couldn't you, in the main tunnel as well? Yes, yeah. absol- absolutely. The more really favours. Yes, more favours, more favours. Well, uh, what would be ideal is a hat that's so wide that it does also just keep people away from you. So the hat inside is a socially distanceable hat. Yeah. These are, look, you could brainstorm this with me. We, you know, I'm telling you, this is a winner for this Christmas. And I told somebody this this morning. I said it'd be really good because it would help people remember to stay away from each other. And they said, oh, but the environment people will come after you. And I was a bit tired and a bit grumpy. Yeah. And so I just went, well, you can't please all of the whiners all of the time. I said that about environmentalists. You on, can't on please. Radio. No, no, no. Oh. I'd never say that on the radio. I am saying it on this podcast. Um, <laughs> it was just what came out of me. It's not what I really feel or think. Right. Yeah. I was just a bit sleep deprived and I was a bit annoyed by them not loving my idea and yeah. complaining immediately. I'm a feminist, but on the way here where there was a very young, glamorous, beautiful, but so hammered lady trying to open the barrier gates, mm. the beeper through us at the tube with a small tube of BB cream. Mm. <laughs> I'm going, well, hasn't anybody helping me get through? Um, when I, re- like, I sort of watched her for a bit, because that's fun to watch, isn't it? And then, um, <laughs> and then when I realised that there were plenty of staff around, but none of them were helping her, I thought, good. Wow. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I mean <laughs> you've oh, saved the worst well. one up for last, there. Yeah. Live from King's Place in London, not in pyjamas, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest car host Jessica foster Hugh, and our very special guest, Katie Melua, talking about finding joy in starting over. Hello, London Podcast Festival. Are you ready for the Guilty Feminist? Are you ready for the first Guilty Feminist at King's Place during lockdown? Then please welcome to the stage your host, Deborah Francis-White. 
it's, it's actually making me feel a bit tearful, to be back, to be honest. The last show we did was here, and we've been gone for six months, I think. We've done two live shows in a quad in South London, which was so lovely at the New Normal Festival, but it wasn't here, because this is where we've always had our residency, and we've toured everywhere, and we've played, you know, the Royal Albert Hall, and the Palladium, and all of these incredible spaces. But this is definitely our home, and uh, Zoe has always made it feel like our home, and all of the wonderful staff here, Ruth, and everyone who works here. So to be back here, it does feel like a little bit of old normal, and it's really, really wonderful. Thank you so much for coming out. So, uh, so well, hello. Excellent. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm just seeing there's photo opportunities from both sides at the moment. We have a photographer there and a photographer there, and that's very discombobulating for me because I know my angles. I can throw to one, but not two at once. I can throw to you, sir. Hello. And I could get one. Do you want one that's more natural? Thank you. I've been taking dance lessons while in, uh, while in lockdown. I think you can tell. See the way I did that? It's just a little bit more, do you know what I mean? A little bit more from the core. Everything's from the core now. Um, that's changed. I've had time to learn to plie. And, more importantly, releve. Releve. Pulling up from the knees. Yes, I know, I know. Come back for the Christmas show, should God bless us with one. And uh, I'll be able to do a series of pirouettes. Um, I'm not, you think I'm making that up? I'm not. I'm working towards a pirouette. But even as I, th I, I am working towards a pirouette, my dance teacher and I have decided by Christmas I'll be able to do one. Um, but I thought it wasn't enough. You know that thing that you get as a woman? This is genuinely true. As I was ad-libbing that, because obviously I hadn't planned it, as I was ad-libbing telling you that, I thought my brain went, a pirouette's not enough, say a series of. And I said, a series of pirouettes, which I will not be able to do. But now I feel like I have to because I've promised it. Um, so I've just upped my ambition, and so sometimes as a woman, feeling you have to be better than you are can make you better than you are, because as women we do tend to overpromise in a world that underdelivers. There's feminist T-shirt slogans coming out all over the place at the moment, out of my mouth. Has anyone got a feminist T-shirt? Yes. What's your say? I define me. Hmm. I like it. I like it a lot, and I can see it. Oh, it's under your hair. Um, Yes. No, don't get it out of the way. You define you. <laughs> Anyone else brought anything feminist with them? Not even a person? <laughs> oh, you've, have you, is that your wife, partner? Your partner. And you're pointing at her as I've brought something feminist with me. Okay. In a very real way, though, sir, what we've done now is we've taken the idea of ownership out of marriage. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I've imposed marriage upon you. It turns out I'm wrong. Um, but that's the idea of the guilty feminist. Uh, we are learning. We don't have to be perfect uh, to be a force for meaningful change. Are you ready for the show? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage one of your favourite co-pilots and mine. It's the incredible Jessica Foster Debs? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. I mean, it's it's less. First, I've heard of this. It's less actual ballet. It's more right. like it's more bit more like musical theatre dancing. <laughs> and Is sometimes it? what my, I've got two dance teachers. Shut up. And uh, one can't handle me. <laughs> Because I want to do it every single day. And, and presumably it's a lot. this is over Zoom. 
Uh, it has been yeah. for nearly all of lockdown because I thought that'll get me out of bed if I'm dancing. I was genuinely terrified Jess, as to how one teaches would... one ballet over Zoom. Well, it's not really bad. I think ballet I'd be unhandleable. Ballet is an exaggeration of what it is, I think. It's... You said a series of pirouettes. I, I have to listen. I really regret it. <laughs> um... I told you my thought processes. I unpacked them for you. That yeah. my, it's almost like my mouth said it. My brain was like, you, you'll be able to do a pirouette. And my mouth went, they won't be impressed by that. Say a series of. Yeah. That's not just me that does that, is it? No, I think it's a very human trait. Especially in comedy, because it's like, quickly exaggerate. Exaggerate it. Quick, quick exaggerate it. Um, so have basically, you... what I'm saying is comedians are big fat liars. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I know what you mean. So, so um, I'm just absolutely fascinated by it. And I, I could derail the whole podcast, but I just want to understand how you learn ballet over Zoom. I don't even really know what a pirouette is. It's when you stand on one leg and turn around. Okay. So, but what, how do you mean then? So, don't, don't try and make me do it. No, no. No. So, you just sort of. Yeah. You're just on one leg and then you just... just do you go around. left to right or do you not prepared. I'm not prepared. Anti-clockwise. Is it, is it, do you have one knee up at an angle like in um, a yoga pose of a tree? Yes. Okay, very nice. And um, is it the one where you keep your head forward but your body moves so you don't get too spinny-winny? Uh, yeah. No. Yes. It's, well, it's, it, it's spot, well, you're spotting, so... so hang on, excuse me? <laughs> So, I'm so you can only do it in the very early days of your period. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I'm looking at that H on the screen there. Yeah. And I have to keep looking at that as much as I can. The one in the can. middle, the one in the middle that yeah. looks like... Until, and then you're about when to give I it get a kiss, around actually, here, when I can't it? see it anymore, I spin my head right. so I can quickly see it as quickly as possible again. <laughs> and ideally, my body will follow. <laughs> exactly that, Jess. Yeah. Okay, and then, so turn around now. What? And what? So stand up. Yeah, so stand up. This is much right. better that you do it. Okay. Great. So you're looking at the H, 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 spin around, so put head around. That was good. That was strong. That was strong. But I think your body came first, so the trick is your head mm-hmm. just gets round and just let your body come. <laughs> Sorry. With, follow. Let your body follow. Right. Let your, let body, your come. body come first. Just let your body come. <laughs> Don't get too in your head. Okay. By December. That's the closest I've come to doing ballet. I was some thrown out of ballet age three. Thrown out? Why? Yeah. Too shit, is it? <laughs> they can't have said yeah. that. No, uh, it took me... T- it, I started three. when I was two. Yeah, and all it took three-year-olds me... are shit at everything, but they think they're oh, brilliant. That's, I the, mean, that's the joy of being three. I was already really hench. I was a tank, and I... They, and the, the teacher said to my mum, like, and my mum did ballet, like, into her 20s, and she's, like, a ballet person, like, proper, like, mangled toes from doing all the standy-uppy bits and that. I think that's the technical term. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the ballet teacher took my mum aside and said, for Jess, have you thought about rugby? Have you thought about rugby? She, she said, said football or something. A but yeah, like, it was, I was so clumpy. I think that <laughs> these are the things... Mm. That uh, take we take with us and define us. Because I had a similar thing, but I was five, and my sister and I did gymnastics, and she was four years older. So I was in the litanies, and at, this was our—I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast before. It's amazing. Sometimes I think I've been talking on this podcast for four and a half years, and I still think of a story I haven't told. But this is a defining story of my. This is like my—I've started doing therapy. 
another one of my lockdown things because I've got time. I'm in the one place, also on Zoom. And I've decided it's just the way you make your origin story. <laughs> it is. It's like Spider-Man, like why is he Spider-Man? I don't know. You know, why is Batman Batman? Because someone killed his parents and now he's a vigilante or whatever. Have I'm... you told your therapist that you were bitten by a radioactive comedian <laughs> when you were... Tiny baby. It was a radioactive feminist, thank you. <laughs> um, it's a lovely origin story. Yeah, yeah. So, this was the thing you had to do in your exam. Get up on the beam, walk the full length of the beam. Right. Uh, and we say get up anywhere you like? Or? Or, well, you meant to hoist sort of yourself up. up. Like, yeah, I'm up. sure there was a way of hoisting yourself yeah. onto the beam. So, One end jimmy of the beam, yourself up. Do us actually like a pirouette almost at this end of the beam. Right. Just t- spin, not all the way around there. Walk back. Yep. Squat. Very a, demure. A squat and turn. Squat and turn. Stand up. Squat. Quick shit. Walk, oh, no. Walk <laughs> to the middle. Turn. No, sorry. Jump. <clears throat> land. The way that gymnasts land. Where they just go, ooh, you know, and they probably stumble a bit and then cry. Yeah. But it was in a gymnasium and all the parents were there. So it was a, you were examined publicly. And I was five. Like, you look back. I mean, everyone mm. did it. So I, you know, there I go. So I get up, do my walk back, my squat, my jump perfectly. I mean, it probably wasn't perfect, but it was certainly adequate. I did it throbbingly adequately, and I was very pleased with myself. And then they said, oh, one of the examiners, there were three examiners, one of them was going to get a cup of coffee. Could you do it again? I think, can't the other two just go, she's fine, she did it, it's fine. Yeah. So I was so thrown by this that I was like, what, what? I thought I'd done it. So I had to get back up, and I was so thrown, I fell off onto my back. <gasps> and my teacher had to come and scoop me up and carry me off dramatically. And the, everyone in the audience made that noise. <gasps> and then my mother said, I don't think you should do gymnastics anymore because you're going to seriously hurt yourself. And so that's when I was sort of told, you're just not a very physical person. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Yes. Like, it's dangerous for you to do those things. And I think after that, my mother always thought... I remember her once on a school trip saying, please watch Deborah. she's very accident-prone. <laughs> <laughs> sticks with you and you decide you're that kind of person it changes the nature of your confidence Mm. and the things that you hear you're good at you want to do those and so after that I was not interested in doing PE or anything like that I was interested in but do you know what I got really good at getting out of PE and that's a life skill because I can get out of things very well and I think that's sometimes very much more useful than jumping over things because I'm so rarely called upon to hurdle in life, but to get out of boring situations the whole fucking time. <laughs> so in a very real way... Pirouetting socially day in, day out, Deb. <laughs> this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Jessica foster and we are talking about finding joy! <laughs> yep. Um, we're talking about finding joy and slightly thinking of the angle of finding joy and starting over. Sometimes you have to reboot yeah. your life. And how do you find joy in that rather than be thrown by that? And I think it's a really good question for us in 2020 because there's been so many ways in which we've had to reboot everything we do, the way that we do it, some people where we live, some people the job that we are able to do or not do now or the way in which we're able to communicate with those we love the most and what's I think most heartening about it is how we have found joy we have human beings are very malleable and we will find joy and uh, feminists are people who aspire to change the whole gig of feminism is can we change things and can we make them better and more joyful that's its whole raison d'etre if you're interested in uh, keeping the status quo alive then you're not really a feminist 
Um, you've got to be looking for change and thinking, how can I make even a little change or how can we together make a big change? I feel like it's weird that this podcast, we've been doing this together for years now and I feel like you have just taught me that, saying that now. <laughs> Quite a lot of the time I'm content. Is that, should that be my main I'm a feminist but? I think, no, no, I don't think that's the case. Seeking improvement. Well, feminism is a fight for change and the patriarchy mm. is a fight for the status quo. Okay. Now, well, the I'm going to write it down. The reason... F- <laughs> the reason... It's in my book. You can buy that. I in, have read that. <laughs> I would never ask you to buy my book, Jess. I would give it to you wholeheartedly. Too late, mate. Read it out to you. Bought it, read it, done a Q&A with you that you've forgotten about it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she did a great Q&A with me about it. That was my, do you know what's so my favourite so Q&A? So memorable. Favourite Q&A of all the Q&As I did. Yeah. I, don't, I think I've got a terrible memory. Um, <laughs> no, I think that's what it is. Because, yeah. the, and the reason feminists seem angrier than the patriarchal forces is fighting for change always looks angrier than fighting for the status quo. Yeah. Because if you say, I want to stay here, and I say, I want to go, you can just sit there and go, I'm good. And so I have to go, no, come on, come on, come on. Please, we've got to go. It's really important. Yeah. Something bad's going to happen. Lightning's going to come in through that window. And if you just want to stay there, you can look like the reasonable one by going, I think everyone else is happy here. So mm. it always looks angrier. Uh, so anytime somebody says, all oh, those activists are angry, or you know, they point to a Black Lives Matter protest and say they look angry, yeah, they are angry because they're asking for a change that absolutely needs to happen. And anybody can maintain the status quo by doing nothing. Well, and injustice is infuriating. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's not just that it looks like anger. Sometimes it's, it is white-hot fucking rage, Debs. <laughs> yes, no, absolutely it is. But I think... The thing that I think is, anger is one of the most common responses to exclusion after self-exclusion. Yeah. So I've gone, don't want to go to the Garrett Club because they don't want me. What is the Garrett Club? It's a show business club. On, oh. But it's like really hundreds of years old. Um, but the second most, I think once as a challenge on The Guilty Feminist, I rang them up and tried to ask why women weren't allowed. <laughs> How did it go? Well. Not well. Um, <laughs> the second most common response to exclusion is anger. Right. And I always think if you don't think white straight cis men get angry when they're excluded, do try putting on a female-only screening of Wonder Woman in your local cinema. <laughs> you will see rage like you have never seen rage before. Because a group that is rarely if ever excluded gets very, very angry. So that's what, what about International Men's Day is about. It's like, I don't recognise this. Whereas if you're used to being excluded a lot, you don't generally have such an enormous response to it. It's more of an expected yeah. expected thing. So we're having to start over this year. We're having to make fresh starts in every direction. So it's a real opportunity for the kind of change that we want. Have you found any joy in starting over? Um, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you make some fairly big changes, if you don't mind me saying. Oh, in my life generally, yeah. in the last year. You've, you're a different yeah. person from when I met you. Am I? Yeah. Because I can do a handstand now. So many different reasons. Um, is, it, is it okay? Slip I've that seen, in there. I've seen um, you. I've I seen, le- oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've promised to do a series of pirouettes at some future date, but you can do a handstand now. Can you no, show I can't us? do a handstand now, no. What, because of heels? Um, 
but also because I'm scared. I don't know how sturdy that is. I need something to flop onto. I've got a very graceless dismount. I did my first handstand, age 37, about three weeks ago. And now I can hold one if I do it just about right for about a minute. Wow, I've got a, a minute! I, and I, I'm trying to learn how to do a handstand push-up. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to get it down by the time wow. I'm 38. <laughs> I'm going to give wow. myself another, like, okay, another 10 months. I do think a very graceless dismount is a great name for your next show. A very graceless dismount. Yeah, that's what you said. You said, I, so I have a very yeah. graceless dismount. I do, well, it's like, it's a really, especially for a podcast, it actually could be quite fun. It's, it's real loud, especially on, like, on a wooden cross. <laughs> um, but I, the genuine reason is I spent over an hour practicing them today already, so I'm going to be absolutely dog shit no, at it. I'd no. rather do it. Even with the confidence of come alcohol. Back, if we do a Christmas show where I'm doing a series of pirouettes, you can come and do your hands. I mean, this, that's an absolute bloody date. Yeah. We'll wear gym clothes then. We'll yeah. come out of fancy clothes. I mean, clothes. Debs, I'm always in gym clothes, but yeah. No, well, we have come out in slightly fancy clothes because we're not used yeah. to having an audience anymore. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, but you've mentioned on Twitter about the E word. What? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Jessica Foster is engaged. Yeah. <laughs> Weird things to get a round of applause for that on a feminist podcast, but, uh, <laughs> but it is to another woman, so it's fine. <laughs> it would be fine, whoever it was. Okay, but <laughs> unless it was a bloke who was a dick. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I don't think yourself. I'd be pointing it out if I thought, oh, yeah. this is a mistake. I think I wouldn't. You know, every now and again, Debs, you do a sad episode. We've all been there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this isn't an intervention. Oh, because I, 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 I. Would you like to see some stand-up comedy? <laughs> then please welcome to the stage the incredible Jessica Foster Gill. <laughs> oh, don't, I would normally do stand-up in heels, but I just wanted to sort of jazz up the smock. Um, <laughs> okay, find and joy. Um, so, uh, the best place to find joy is on holiday, I found. Um, and I, I went on ho- holiday recently. Don't worry, it was like a fine one. It was glamping. And um, basically, the bad thing that happened is I did a lie. Um, we got there, and it was uh, like a staying in a little hut in a field, surrounded by a horse's paddock. And the lady that ran it arrived as soon as we did, we said, this is so lovely, what beautiful horses. And she said, are you horse people? <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, I mean, the truth is actually, I've always been a little bit scared of horses, but on the other hand, I do think they're sexy. Um, maybe the two things go together, I don't know. But I was like, I, don't know. I mean, I sort of fluffed it. I was like, we don't really know, you know, I don't really know what, <laughs> what counts really as... I do, I, I think they're lovely. Like, well, I mean, do you own horses? Do you have horses? Do you look after horses? Like, oh, well, no, then I, I have to admit I'm not a, I, if that's a definition then, um, no, I think yours are great. Um, but I, no, then, I, uh, I have to say I'm not a horse person and she was furious. Uh, should have really popped it on the Airbnb thing if I'm honest that only really horse people were welcome um, and then to sort of soften the blow for herself she said are you dog people are you at least a dog person 
Are you a dog person? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't hate a dog. I really bloody love a dog. I've had a dog in the past. I have had a dog. I haven't got a dog now. I haven't got one now. I, in fact, if a, if a nice dog walks near me, I'll ask, I'll ask and then I'll have a touch of it. I do like a touch of a dog. But if you're going to say to me, like, oh, what type is that dog? Don't know. Don't fucking care. Do you want to have a look at a picture of your dog? Probably not. Sorry. Uh, I am medium about dogs. That's sort of medium to warm about dogs. Absolutely not a dog hater. No hate for the dogs. Um, a bit of sort of a pretty, you know, sort of warm ambivalence about the dogs. Um, but this time round, I just went, yeah, yes, I am. Yes, yes, yes. Because where was it going to end with this woman? Are you a cat person? Surely you're a cat person. Are you a cat person? They're so easy. They even clean up their own mess. Surely you're a cat. You're not a cat person. <laughs> are you? Are you a fish? person at least be a fish person you're a fish person a couple of flakes of food a day come on surely you're a fish person not a, are you a tapeworm person are you a, surely a tapeworm person until you're nearly dead you don't even know you've got them as a pet um finding joy new beginnings Finding joy and new beginnings. Boris, uh, Boris wants us to find joy in a new beginning of all um, collectively as a society. He'd like us all to lose some weight. And that's funny because I'd like him to kiss my dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, I, don't, I don't think he's going about anything the right way on his health fitness kick and it's tickled me. Um, first things first, it's the old ca- it's calories on the menus, isn't it? Calories on the menus. Anybody who did vote for Boris, some of you must have. Somebody did it, didn't they? Um, anyone who did that, anyone who did that could only justifiably say, well, he's a clown, isn't he? He's just so funny. He's just such a charismatic. He's, you know, he's got, he's a, he's a great, he's a fun guy, isn't he? He's just a bit of fun. He's taking calories and putting them on menus. At best, that is a fun vortex. At worst, it is a fucking toxic for anybody with any disordered eating. It's a death of the fucking catering industry. And it's not going to work. It doesn't work. Calorie counting diets don't work. Less than 3% of diets work, which means they don't work. (laughs) They make it worse. If less than 3% of cars didn't work, you wouldn't fucking get in one, would you? Let alone get in a new one every single Monday and go... What's wrong with me? (laughs) But the worst thing about encouraging calorie counting is that all it does is make people utterly obsessed with food. It makes people obsessed with food. If you want people to do less of something, don't make them obsessed with it. We want to cut down on violent crime as well. What's he going to do? Give everybody a gun, a gram of coke, an injection of testosterone, and a list of everyone who's ever fucking wronged them? (laughs) And don't get me wrong, there's types of exercise I absolutely love. I very, feel very privileged to have found things like weightlifting and handstands that bring me joy. Um, but he wants everybody to... He's just done an advert for running. I don't know if you saw, he did a little video, a hopefully viral video advert for running. What he does in the video is he walks a lot whilst talking about running. We all got that far, BJ! <laughs> he talks about running all the way through the video whilst he walks... And he says in the video, the advert for running, he says, I get up first thing in the morning and I go for a run. And then that's the worst bit of my day over. <laughs> this is a man whose job is running a country on the brink of the worst economic collapse in the history of all history that's persistently riddled with a fatal pandemic. It's his job to run that country 
And the worst bit of his day is the jog at the beginning of it. What an excellent advert for running! He's a turd. He's a turd man. I've lowered the tone so much that I'm going to leave the stage. Thank you. <laughs> Jessica Fasakura, everybody! Please, welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis-White! to talk about finding joy and starting over by looking back in history, as I sometimes do on this podcast, to find examples of women who found joy in starting over uh, in the past in situations that were so much more patriarchal than our own. So Lady Mary Wortley Montague was a kind of badass, sassy, rich lady who just went places and did not give a fuck. She taught herself Latin, eloped with and then from her husband. Uh, She travelled around, wrote letters, had two children, and she was out paying morning visits three weeks after the birth of her daughter. She had affairs, she ran away to Italy to join a hot lover. If you don't think that is finding joy and starting over, you are wrong. And she was more or less cut out of her husband's will, which I sort of understand in retrospect. But she kept writing letters to him because don't we all have that one ex we just can't quit? (laughs) Now, when she was younger, Lady Mary had two possible suitors to choose from, Edward Wortley Montague and Clotworthy Skeffington. (laughs) And I think we can all agree she was justified in choosing Montague on the name alone. On the, you don't say this as my husband, Clotworthy Skeffington. <laughs> You'd feel like you were in an episode of Black Adder. But apparently she liked him too, and they argued in letters a lot, uh, which is a way sexier mode of courtship than arguing on Tinder, I've heard. She proposed the elopement with Lord Montague after negotiations uh, for her hand broke down between him and her father about her dowry. And he wrote a bitchy essay about it, and they broke up and then got back together again and eloped, and then she ended up writing an essay that suggested abolishing the whole system of dowries, suggesting that selling ladies to men for their land assets rather than their personalities made for bad marriages... Still true if you sub in boob jobs for land assets, if you watch Love Island. It was a classic courtship, and the will-they-won't-they subtweeting essay writing definitely made for the best season of Riverdale. Revolutionary at the time, but in retrospect, who thought dads should have a say in who gets to bang their daughter? Dads should never have a bang veto. Dads have terrible taste in men. Famously. Anyway, there's a dad laughing now. Did you hear that? Just... Just a dad going, ha, 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 yes, I do. <laughs> and I try and impose it on her and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's hollow laughter. Anyway, she travelled around with her husband's diplomatic missions all over Turkey and North Africa and various other Orient-based places, as they used to be called and now aren't. Looking at things, writing letters to people, uh, back home about them. She was like a 17th century vlogger, if you are in the audience and a young person. In her later years, on her return to England, she had a passionate emotional affair with and then friend-zoned Alexander Pope. 
who got his revenge by bitterly calling her a lesbian in a poem, so it's nice to know some things don't change. And by things, I do, of course, mean men. <laughs> she ended up dying of a terrible disease, having lived a life so colourful and intense, it's like one of those peacock manta shrimp that have so much power they boil water and explode crabs with a punch as hot as the surface of the sun. Most importantly, and most topically... She brought the first version of smallpox inoculations into Europe and argued for it so effectively that it was adopted, bettered, and became a thing that some people do about diseases, even to this day. Vaccinate some people. You could say she was a pioneering feminist, a wonderful writer, and an extremely admirable lady if you ignore almost everything about almost all of her attitudes about almost everything. She wrote about her travels all over the Orient, in inverted commas, her sexy naked time with sexy naked ladies in Sofia, Turkey, comparing the freedom of conversation for women in the bathhouse with men's intellectual forums in the coffee houses of the time. She hung out with a pasha called Ahmed Bey in Belgrade, who was more polite than, I quote, many Christian men of quality. Take that, many Christian men of quality. <laughs> she was certainly both determined and brilliant. Eventually, she succumbed to the fate of all brilliant and eccentric egotists, which is to be sniped at by bitchy society dames and called ugly in Italy by Horace Walpole. In her Turkish embassy letters, Montague wrote that she had learned that Turkish women had property rights denied to English women, even aristocratic ones. She was also impressed by Muslim women's right to privacy and lauded the wearing of the veil as a tool for the freedom of women and a way to move freely around the city and have anonymous affairs with men. <laughs> anonymous to the men too which is a ball away to offend both Christian and Muslim religious moors and to invent a crack team of 18th century Turkish stealth sex commandos that would be a better movie than any Hollywood blockbuster reboot ever made. My favourite quote from her letters, and I think quite possibly the best bit, apart from the sexy lady Turkish bath time soft porn scene, is where she describes how she tried a face peel in Turkey and had a bad reaction. She said, let my complexion take its natural course and decay in its own good time, which is an attitude so far ahead of its time, it's ahead of our time. <laughs> That's the end of me! Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah briefly interrupting your podcast listening with some news about a campaign we mentioned on a previous episode. Reem Mahmood is a young Syrian woman who needed help to go to university in Canada and she's managed to get enrolled and she has a scholarship, but her GoFundMe was shut down due to the sanctions in Syria. She has some money from it, but she's had to start a new GoFundMe. Her situation now is she got a scholarship that paid her first term tuition fees of 10,000 Canadian dollars. This is a very competitive scheme and only one person gets it, and this time it was Reem. She raised $7,000 last time to put towards her second term tuition fees, but she needs another 10 grand to get a visa so she can prove to the government that she can afford to support herself. She's currently doing classes there on Zoom, but obviously she really wants to get out of a war zone and onto the actual campus. She's worked really hard for this. This is a really feminist cause. For more information about Reem, the scholarship she got and her new fundraising campaign, see the links in our show notes and on our website. She's actually doing gender studies at the Canadian University. So if you or your organisation would like to sponsor her for a large amount of money, 
to just help her get there and become her sponsor while she's on her three years in Canada, then that would be absolutely magnificent. If not, if you've got a fiver or a tenner or a quid or anything, then please help out. It's a very, very feminist cause. Now, back in August, we had yoga teachers, Janelle Lewis, Mia Togo, and Dr. Stacey Cece Graham on the podcast talking to us about wellness. Since then, we've had all three of them, plus Mansi Puri from India, leading yoga classes for us via Zoom. We have two more coming up, which you can book on right now. Vinyasa Yoga with Janelle Lewis is on Thursday, the 29th of October at 6.30 p.m. UK time. And Vinyasa Yoga with Mia Togo is on Thursday, the 12th of November at 6 p.m. UK time. Classes are 10 quid or five quid concessions and all the details are on guiltyfeminist.com. All the money goes to the teachers and a little bit for our administrator, but we don't take any profit from this. We just want it to be in the world. Now, our website, guiltyfeminist.com, is also the place to go for all of our lovely merch, which does go to us and our pot for good things, and information about my book, The Guilty Feminist, which is available in Waterstones, Blackwells, or wherever books are sold. The new edition features interviews with Hannah Gadsby and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Thanks to everyone who came to see us record the live show at King's Place. It was so nice to be back on stage, even in a very socially distanced, masked up with the audience way. And thank you, everyone who tuned in via the live stream as well. We hope to have more information about live dates soon, as and when we are allowed and they are safe. And now, back to the podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Our guest today is one of Britain's most successful recording artists of the millennium, selling more than 11 million albums, 1 million concert tickets, and receiving 56 platinum awards. Put your hands together and make excited Guilty Feminist woohooing noises for the incredible Katie Melua! <laughs> Elbow bump. All right. Oh, it is weird, isn't it? Not being able to get up and do, do a kiss. 
or a hug. It's just, but it's so good to be here. I'm so excited. And We're so excited to have you. Deborah, yeah. it's just awesome to see you. Like, honestly, it's, uh, I'm really, really honored. I remember we met a year ago or more than a year ago. And yes. you were talking about Steve, the refugee that lived at your house, which yes. is so inspiring. Well, he's, still, he's very much our family now. Yeah, uh, we did a, a show together called One Track Mind, where you had to say why a song was important to you. And I talked about Hey Jude, which is, I think, a piece I did on the podcast eventually. And you did a brilliant, brilliant piece as well. And I was just, like, blown away by you. And I've been hoping to get you on the podcast ever since, and now you're releasing a new album. I am, and uh, I'm so delighted to be here. And, to, you know, I wanted to talk about the starting over theme and yes. the finding joy theme, because, you know, for me, I was very fortunate when I got to release my first record at the age of 19. And it was really remarkable because it sold incredibly well. I got to tour the world. And with that, doing it at such a young age, of course, there was a huge amount of pressure to sustain it and to make it even better. And there was, you know, weird things that would sort of take over daily life, which was the visual aspect of it. So like what to wear, you know, a stylist would show up at my house with three suitcases of beautiful clothes. And that's meant to be a really joyous experience, right? I would think so. It, it's uh, meant to be. Can they come to me? I struggle. <laughs> but, you know, it was actually really tough because I'm a huge lover of... How many of, smocks have you got? It was... <laughs> it became... <laughs> it became more about that than it did about the music. Right, yeah, And, yeah. you know, and suddenly that was really important in terms of how things were doing, what, how it was selling. By the time it came to um, releasing my fourth record... I actually, you know, had a serious mental and public documented breakdown. You know, my reputation and my, um, uh, the relationship with my management was under huge stress. And, you know, I just felt like my work was in a, a free fall. So that was in 2010. And since then, I've just been, you know, really working on starting over. I've surrounded myself with an incredible group of people who are, you know, very um, conscientious, who are very family-focused, and who, like, let me do the work that I really, really want to do. And I know I probably shouldn't say let me, you know, on this feminist podcast, but it just means the world to me to have that support yeah. and to essentially pour my energy into study because the English language means the world to me. I find it really fascinating. On this record, this is the first time where I have completely written the words myself. And um, in order to do that, I went to study, actually, at the Faber Academy. I did a short course in fiction, and I discovered the brilliant Flannery O'Connor. Do you know the American writer? She's just amazing. And one of the things I learned from her was, um, she said, as a writer, you have to have the sharpest eye. And so I really wanted to use all the things, you know, that she gives us in a lot of her essays about writing. And to me, that's documenting love you know, yeah. in lots of different ways, whether it's documenting love between man and woman or it's documenting the tug of war between, you know, your love of your work and the love you're trying to give to your family and the sort of battle between that. And I don't know, like, I've, through that, I have been able to find this joy, been able to pour it into this album, and now it's out on the 16th of October. Remember the date exactly. And um, it's amazing, you know, everyone I've spoken to what delights me is the journalists, where they're coming from. So it's from Russia, from America, from South Africa. And also it's the nature of the conversations that I'm having with them, mm -hmm. which isn't just about, you know, my personal life or um, 
the success I've had, but it's about the actual nature of the work and the quality of the work, which is about the musicianship and the words, and that just means the world to me. Amazing. Well, I've absolutely loved listening to the album. I've had a sneak peek. Yeah, it's lush. Um, it's not a peek, is it? Because it's an album. No, it's a it's sneak. Oh, um, eek. Thank you. A sneak eek. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I've, had a, I've had a sneak eek, and uh, <laughs> I loved it. And I wondered, because our podcast has supported refugees in many ways over its period, uh, how much of learning to start over and find joy is from your childhood? Because um, we've talked before about uh, your family not being refugees per se, because refugees are fleeing and they're having to rely on someone else to let them in and show that humanity. But you and your family got out of Georgia before you had to do that. Yeah, I mean, Georgia in 91 was going through a civil war um, from the breakdown of the Soviet Union. And so the country was at a complete standstill from 91. We left in 93. And um, my parents, I mean, we were really lucky. My dad's a doctor, so he managed to get a job in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And so we moved, and they were about 35 at the time. So can you imagine, like, the courage it must have taken to take me, who I was about eight years old, and my brother was one years old, and we moved over to Northern Ireland, didn't speak a word of English. My dad did, of course. And, yeah, I really learned from them this incredible courage and honour in starting over. Your dad got a job in Northern Ireland and got a transfer there, but you didn't speak any English at that point at all? Not at that point. I mean, I knew sort of rough English, the way I learned, I know French at the moment, which is just bonjour and... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Menu. T- t- exactly. Tourist yeah. textbook. <laughs> yes. Ua la piscine. <laughs> if you needed the swimming pool in Paris, you'd be fine. The thing is, I know how to say Ua but then when they turn around and go, Oh, I'm better at understanding that. And I'm no, like, uh, I don't know. Well, Deborah, uh, that actually oh. was like uh, three rows down on the left, and then it's basically on your right behind them. Oh, okay. Is that what so, I said? Okay. actually, fine at listening. Okay. It is, oh no, yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. Uh, um, so, but turning up in Belfast as a child, eight years old, and was that scary for you? How much of that do you remember? I remember a lot of it. The thing is, in Georgia, we had an impression of the West. So we'd seen films and movies from the UK, from America. We'd seen Freddie Mercury, you know, dancing in his music videos. But wow. had you watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off and then you turned up in Derry Girls? Uh, no, I hadn't watched that one, but I'd watched Eddie Murphy films. Okay. And so I kind of expected So coming Hollywood. to America. Coming to America, yeah, coming to Belfast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But honestly, it was incredible because we didn't always have electricity that worked in Georgia. We didn't right. always have water. So moving to Belfast, turn the tap on and water comes out. That was miraculous. And so... The fact that that little detail just makes you so happy at the start of your day. And then I'd go to school, and the school was really colourful. Whereas the school in Georgia at the time was like, um, you know, the the schools you see, say, sort of in the old communist countries, very grey, really grim-looking. We just had to stand there and learn and recite these great old poems off by heart, which is actually a beautiful thing now when I look back at it. But it was remarkable to be in Belfast and to have the chance to get educated and to you know, grow in this country and get educated here. Were your parents concerned about leaving somewhere where there was a civil war and going into the Troubles? Because going into 90s Belfast... Yeah, it's pretty spicy. Yeah, for a lot of people... That's That's okay to say, isn't it? Well, you've said it now, it's too late. We're live-streamed. We're live-streamed. But yeah, it it is... Hangy? (laughs) 
yeah, it, it's a, it, you know, edgy. I know. <laughs> you know what? But it was, frankly, it was the best we could get. You know, it was the best we could get. Yeah, yeah. But also, Dad did tell me that he went to a friend of his, who I think was a someone that he went to as a mentor, and he asked him, "Look, I've got this position in Belfast, and what do you think? Should I take it? Because there's troubles there too." And they actually um, had a look at, I believe the risk of life there, you know, and what the quality of life was like there. So compared to how Georgia was to Belfast during that period, it was still like oh, winning sure. the lottery. No, brainer, yeah. no, absolutely, I'm sure. How much of this album, if we're cutting forward in time now, so, you know, you had this start where you went, look, I can't speak the language, but I have got water. And I think that probably shapes your life. That, totally. You know, that in a way, it's even better than my origin story of uh, leaving gymnastics when I was five. <laughs> and being bitten by a radioactive feminist. I mean, in a way, in a way. It's, I mean, certainly equals that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but if you then, your attitude is, what's good here? What's good here? You know, uh, well, school's more colourful, school's more lively. I'll learn the language. I think it must shape you into someone who can reboot how much of this album is going to be seen as one of the great breakup albums or you know, like Adele? Like, it feels like there's a lot of breaking up in this album, but then, you know, finding joy as in the song Joy, which was my favorite song on the album. Oh, how, you know, what? actually, my manager came up to me as you were talking today and he was like, can we play Joy today? Because yes. we're not going to play Joy. And the reason is that the guitars are tuned in a different way and it would take uh. ages to detune the guitars uh. to make them into Joy. But the album is out and people can hear it on the record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's really interesting what you were saying about to sort of apologise for the having to move away from a time where you weren't let to do what you wanted to be doing, writing it entirely yourself, your music, and having that much more control and autonomy and the joy from that and perhaps the confidence to do that and... But also, there's no apology necessary for the letting you. One, like, you know, you're providing us an insight into the world of being a singer at 19, you know. I think it's relatively common knowledge that it's, you know, you do get a lot of people putting their awe in. But equally, I think there's a more general point in the sense that there seems to be some u universality in the coming of age in the realising that we do have more choice than you think you do. It takes an awfully long time to realise you can change your situation be it having more autonomy over your work or whatever, fleeing a country where you're having a terrible time, anything from that tiny to that specific and career-specific or whatever. And then sometimes you realise you can do it, but not immediately. It's a mm. process that's going to take years, and it might never be finished. Mm -hmm. But there's something amazing about being able to look back on the last bunch of years and see, even if the it wasn't... Yeah, made. it didn't happen in great big crashing waves. But the tide came in eventually, mm -hmm. or and you, there might still be more to come, or whatever. Like, but you, it gives you this new Absolutely. starting point. Yeah, really. and it's so wonderful when you dream of something, when you dream of doing something. And for me, that was—I mean, when I was in Belfast and a young kid, I remember the first time I went into a library, and I was gobsmacked at the fact that I could take away six books for free, and that they trusted me. And I thought that was just remarkable. And I think back at that time and like how much learning the language, how much the love of communicating, and actually really what it gave me to be able to do that, it really just changed everything for me. And I, I feel like singing songs is about, you know, bringing those words to life and bringing that imaginary architecture to life. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, six years ago, I was dreaming of making a record where, you know, my love of words would be much more 
in it. My observations of love and life would be much more in it. You asked about, you know, is this record about separation? And it's something that I've been through recently and I can't avoid it. You know, it, it is something that has been part of my life and I have to face it. But I sort of think about, well, how can I do it gracefully and also beautifully? Because I am quite in, like, aesthetic. Like, I want the music to feel and sound beautiful and for the listener to be engulfed by love if the music is about love, but for it to be honest and honourable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, th- that really comes through. And I think learning English as a second language... Well, I always think with Steve, his English is incredible. He'll say, oh, yeah, he had a very avuncular energy... And a mutual friend of ours who went to Cambridge said, sorry, what, what was that word, avuncular? And I was like, how was your English like that? And he said, I'm just always learning all the time. But he corrects my English a lot um, because I say number instead of amount and things like that at the wrong time. But then I think, you know what, I learned English as a baby. And what do babies know? He learned it as a grown-up, so I understand why his is better. Um, I don't blame myself. Um, And I think sometimes you can become a wordsmith because you've had to ask what each word means and then look at it and pick it up. And when you learn mother tongue, some people don't think about the language they use at all. They just open their mouth and whatever comes out comes out. And what they mean comes out. That's a very beautiful story about going to the library and the concept of a library being a beautiful one for you because Mm. it was about trust, which I've never thought of because I was taken to the library since, you know, I was very small and we always went to the library and that was just what we did so I never thought they're trusting me with these books because I was trusted with books before I understood the concept of trust and I well think I hope you bloody took them back <laughs> <laughs> I did I always took them back and I think that your love of books and therefore your love of words is now made you the person that you are you have to audition each word and it's that's true but it's not just the words actually it's also the love of this country I know sort of talking about the love of England and the love of United Kingdom isn't very cool here at all. Like, you just don't do it. But as a foreigner who came here when I was eight, the sound of how people talked and the politeness and the subtlety and the grace of the nature of, you know, this country is just, it's delightful from my perspective. There's a song about that on your album. Oh, which one? Which the, one did you... It's called... Is it... Is it I, I think it's... English like, Manor? Yes, English well, Manor. Well, the title, yes. But it, I actually created a, a fictitious uh, story about a love triangle on that one. So um, ooh, ooh. it is worth checking out, yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to... Would you like to hear a couple of songs from Katie's album? Excellent. Are you allowed to tell us which ones? Yes, I'm going to sing A Love Like That and Your Longing Is Gone. <sighs> I'm so excited. Yes, please. Um, very excited. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? No, I managed to say absolutely everything. Wonderful. Yay. <laughs> you did it very beautifully, and you're so articulate. You're a guest that takes care of yourself. You don't, we didn't have to ask you anything. You just came and sat down and said many beautiful things. I, I've, I don't think I've ever had a more competent guest. Have you? She just took that and just said many beautiful things. I know, it's really beautiful, actually. I felt very relaxed. <laughs> yeah. Um, Everyone must buy the album. Uh, could you tell us the name of the album and where we can buy it? The album is called Album Number 8. You can get it on all the usual online places, including my website, katiemellower.com. Wonderful. Glorious. Album Number 8. Download it the second that you get home, if not before. Uh, the only reason you're allowed to get your phone out is if you're going to download Katie Mellower's album. Um, before you do that, can I quickly plug something? I have yes. Say. I was in a, a lovely little independent cinema and a lady came over and said, we've got a little art exhibition 
if you want to look, and I did. And it's um, art that's being created by uh, refugees in Greece at the moment. Oh my and God, she is selling it. And there's some on auction now, only to the 4th of October for people in the room. If you go to 32 auctions online. But the uh, charity that she's running it through are called Creation Without Borders. And she says there will always be refugee art from Greece for sale from the charity called Creation Without Borders. And also part of the, all the money goes to making sure that people, refugees in Greece at the moment, can have access to the equipment to make art and time, space, etc. Wonderful. And then, yeah. I saw some incredible art at a school in Moria that some young people had done. And it, it, now we're going to do an episode on this coming up that um, the camp in Moria has burnt down and 13,000 people who were already in the space for only three they were already in inhumane conditions, but supported brilliantly by incredible grassroots organisations. That's burnt down and gone, and now people are in car parks and on the road. Uh, so anything you can do to choose love at the moment and give to choose love and pressure your MPs and other European countries to just even choose a scrap of humanity, never mind love, then please, please do. And that sounds like a wonderful thing to support. Um, do you have anything to plug? I've got a podcast all about eating called Hoovering. It's brilliant. You should listen. <laughs> That's me done. Uh, this has been absolutely brilliant, and I feel uh, quite emotional being here. Uh, Katie Melua, uh, and sorry, should, we should say who's a company. This here. is my brother Zurab Melua. Hi, Hello. Zurab. He's, oh my God. he's in the band, so thank God he was able to come out tonight. Yes. Oh, well, well, that's wonderful to have you. I'm glad I asked who he was. <laughs> um, didn't just think, that's a man. Uh, you're Katie's brother. Oh, that's lovely. Okay, well, we'll ask your stories another time. Um, Katie, take it away. Thank you so much. I'm taken in by what you've told me But keep it all inside your songs This isn't real to dust 
It's a burning fire It'll be a wreck A bitter dream That makes you beg It falls like rain It turns to dust How'd you make a love like that? next one is called Your Longing is Gone. I used to really feel like we were high flying. You could say our days were too good to be true. I loved it when you showed me that inside you were dying. Like I had to answer that pool from you. Places where I'll find my freedom You could see me somewhere not thinking of you or Maybe it's because I gave you too much of what you were needing But the real reasons are fading and shading in the blue grew dark and up it flew Your longing is gone It was sweet like a summer sky Your longing is gone I just got to it being all mine For a while we were the only thing that mattered in our lives How did you make me believe In such a sweet, in such a free, in such a cool thing Your longing is gone to do Your longing is gone 
saying, let's play I'm a Feminist Bot. Oh. Okay, ready? I'm a Feminist Bot. I'd like to talk about my engagement for a bit longer, Tom. Okay. Anyway. I'll do one about your engagement. Okay. A huge thank you to all of our amazing patrons sponsoring us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. John Quilcoy, Sarah Brown and Sarah Boom. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.